We would like to welcome you to today's sermon delivered by Pastor Stuart Guthrie. We hope that it challenges, strengthens, and encourages your walk in the Lord. Well, again, we're working through the book of 1 Peter. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Um, Last week, we uh, really began our fourth week in 1 Peter, and we looked at Peter's plea for holy living. Um, We saw the need uh, to take time for preparation, for concentration, for affirmation, and lastly, replication. We saw that God wants each one of us as His children to be holy as He desires for us because He is holy to be holy and set apart for His glory and for His honor. We transition from the indicatives of the first section of 1 Peter to the imperatives of the second section which brought about commands. And you can almost feel the commanded voice behind Peter to his people to be separate, to be set apart and holy as God is holy. And so we talked about us and our need to buckle up our bootstraps and and begin to live lives as followers of Christ, as truly converted believers. And this week, really, we're going to build on what Peter spoke of last week in verses 13 to 16. The outline that we've been working through, it's getting kind of hefty, and so if you've been following that, just continue to fill in the blanks as we go along. But we've really been looking at the response to the Christian salvation. And so we see in the first part of the outline, Peter's prayer of thanksgiving. We saw that in verses 3 to 5. Then we looked at Peter's praise of proven faith in verses 6 to 12. And last week, Peter's plea for holy living in verses 13 to 16. And this week, we're going to see Peter's proclamation to fear the Lord in verses 17 to 21. Now, as we go through this portion of Scripture, it's very important that we understand what it means to have a healthy fear of God. To have a biblical fear of God. It's a very weighty topic and one that many people have different views on, but it is something that we find time and time again throughout the Scriptures. And we see that even in Matthew, if you remember, Matthew eight twenty six, Jesus is there in the boat with his disciples. A great storm arises and the disciples are fearful for their lives. And Jesus says, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Fear can reveal some things to us as believers. It can show us a, a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God's provision for His children. We are told places in the Bible that we're not to have certain kinds of fear. And so what is it that we are not to fear? Well, if you remember from the famous passage of Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. We shouldn't fear evil. 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. We are not to fear intimidation of those who persecute us, those who threaten us. 
Matthew 10, 28 rather says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to kill and destroy both soul and body in hell. In Mark 5, 35 to 42, Peter, James, and John are allowed to go with Jesus to see this young girl healed. Jesus went on before them to the home of a synagogue official and to heal his little girl. And he said this, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. We don't need to fear the loss of loved ones. Acts 18.9 says, Don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. We don't need to be fearful to, to speak the truth, to proclaim the gospel. We are instructed and taught in several places not to fear certain things. And so how is it this morning we can come and read the passage of Scripture that says we are to fear the Lord, to live a life in fear? The Greek word phobos is used 47 times in the Greek New Testament. Phobos is the, the English word that we get phobia from. It means to fear. I challenge you to look up all 47 verses yourself and to see where the word phobos is used and write them down, how they are used, and then you determine what it means to fear the Lord. It's a very interesting study. It kind of messes you up a little bit. I'm not going to list them all, but here's a couple. Matthew 14, 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in phobos, fear. That's a, that's a kind of a, a fear that's scary. Matthew 28, 4 says, the, the guard shook with fear, phobos of him, and became like a dead man. This fear caused shaking and something like a paralyzation. Many places where phobos is used, it's used in a way that's used of terror, of being alarmed. It's used of intimidation. So how do we understand what Peter is speaking of when he speaks of fear this morning? And I believe that many agree, as, as, as I agree, that, that the fear Peter is talking about is a reverential awe of God. One that could cause a man to bow his knees. Now, I'm not talking about an ooh, all, look at, there's God. Because I don't know about you, when I read Scripture and, and I see people encounter angels and, and, and hear God's voice, it does something to them that brings about a healthy, reverential fear of God. I'm talking about a fear that causes a life of holy living. One that would cause you to ponder the effects of doing something you should or should not do. I mean, we, we almost sometimes in our culture fear our mother and father more than we do the God who created us. You know why we know that? Because if we were doing something we weren't supposed to and mom and dad walked in the door, guess what we would do? We would stop while all the more God is right there the entire time. Out of sight, out of mind, has become our culture in the relation of fearing the Lord. 
In Peter 2.18 and in 3.2.14 and 15, he speaks of a respectful behavior. And really, this seems to ring right along the idea that he's going to betray about the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't have a problem with people fearing God. I think it's really missing in our day. We have some kind of disconnect with really whom God is. We don't see the miracles that they saw like they did in the Old Testament with Moses and Noah. We don't see the wrath of God when it's being poured out on us as a nation. We're so blinded to the power of God. We don't even have a healthy fear of God anymore in our day. A respectful fear that works alongside of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives that allows His people to bring about a holiness or a righteous living. Again, phobos or fear can be portrayed in different ways. But in Peter, he is teaching us of a fear that brings about action and respect for God, a, a proper perspective of who we are and who God is and who we are not. And who God is not. Listen, God isn't your homeboy, as I see on t-shirts. Jesus is my homie. I understand what they're communicating in a culture. But to me, that's completely disrespectful. It doesn't show a reverence of God, of Christ. Because... When I think about God, I think about Paul on the road to Damascus. Remember that experience? A light brighter than the heavens showed down on me and my companions. What'd they do? Did they say, hey, what's up, homie? No, it says we all fell down. They didn't even see God. They just saw a light brighter than the heavens. And they fell down on their face. That's a reverence of God. That's an all of God. And so today we will be addressing how each one of us can begin to have a healthy fear of God. And I hope by the end of the message it will be helpful to you and give you a greater desire as you leave this week to develop a healthy fear of God. Because, listen, the reality is as we live lives every day and we become acquainted with our lifestyle and our methodologies and our approach to God, and many times it's lackadaisical. And I can say that from experience. Now, I'm not talking about a superficial uh, respect for God that's over the top. That's legalism. I'm talking about a true, genuine effect of fear of God. And so let's get into the text this morning. First Peter 1, if you'll turn there, 17 to 21. He reads this, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in the fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, whom through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope 
are in God. There are three things that I think we can take from this text this morning that will help us accomplish having a healthy, biblically balanced fear of God. And so Peter is first calling us to the fact that we must first consider the position. Secondly, we must consider the price. And thirdly, we must consider the purpose. So let's begin with number one. We must consider the position. We must consider who God is and the position in which he is in, in our lives and in his creation. We must have a respectful, reverential awe of who God is, a healthy fear of him. He says, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, the New Living Translation, which I commonly don't promote from the pulpit, but it, 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 it's a transliteration, and I think it communicates well what it's saying here, so I'm going to read it. It says, Remember that your heavenly Father, whom you pray, has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. It's a great interpretation of that. The first imperative that we have here is that if we are going to pray to the Father, the one that judges each person equally, then conduct yourselves in fear while you stay here on this planet Earth. Peter knows how to pray. They were instructed well on how to pray, and and so are we because we have the very Word of God that teaches us what it is and how it is that we should pray. And that's why we take prayer serious as a church. And that's why we dedicate our Wednesday night to prayer meeting, not to, not to the teaching of the Scriptures from the pulpit. While I don't negate the importance of that, but we see the vitality uh, uh, for prayer. We see the, the, the ability of God in our inability. And so we emphasize prayer in this church. Those in the Old Testament, they prayed. Those in the New Testament, they prayed. And we pray today. And we pray uh, to God the Father. And it was normal then to to pray to God the Father and address Him as Father. And we see that in in Psalm 89, 26. It gives us a great example. He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. In the New Testament, the perfect teacher, Jesus, taught them to pray and to to us as well and to pray personally to the Father in the Lord's Prayer. As he says, Our Father, who out in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so it's important we need to pray to God as our Father, as a Father who loves us, who cares for us, who shows us compassion and shows us grace that works with us through our trials and through our temptation and has a plan of making you a glorified child of Him at the finish line. And so don't ever be ashamed to call God your Father. But if you do call Him Father then we need to know that this is the same God in whom we pray is the same God whom will judge us as well. Peter is simply saying this. If if you're praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God that we intimately call Father, then this is the one true God also that fairly judges according to each one's work. 
Listen, the schemes of life doesn't really matter. You can be a doctor, you can be a plumber, you can be a superstar, you can be an NFL player, a PGA Tour, you can be a super mom. You can be a regular Joe, you can be rich, you can be poor. But the reality is, is at the end of the day, we will all be judged equally. We'll all be judged equally. God doesn't pick sides. Acts 10, 34 to 35 says, I, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. God is not a respecter of men. He doesn't take sides. You take God as father, you take him as judge as well. You and I both will be judged based off the works that we do because God again doesn't play favorites. At that point when we stand before God, you and everyone else will be on the same playing field. And it's true that we will be judged by the same criteria. You could say that God is a a God of equal opportunity. No amount of personal gain will bring you closer to Him. God will only care to see what stands the test of fire. Isn't that great? I mean, isn't that great? Because that's not how our culture works, right? That's, That's not how it works in our culture. It's all... Gain in in America's political gain, most of it. There's politics and everything. I I remember growing up playing sports, you know. We weren't the wealthiest people. I mean, we had a roof over our head, and Daddy took care of us, and everything was provided for. But I was a great baseball player. But you know what? There was a bunch of, of, of very wealthy kids that made it a lot further along, not because of their ability, but because of their pocketbooks. That's just my experience. But in the last day, beware, God is not a God of partiality. You can't buy your way into the kingdom of God. Don't try it. Now, I'm not saying that God can't use our our blessings, those things that he's provided for us financially, physically. God can use those things, but those don't gain us access to any greater level of God. We'll all be judged only that which will stand the test of fire. That's why I was reading Randy Alcorn's book called The Treasure Principle. A little bitty book. I read it every now and again as a devotional, and it was a great reminder of just how important it is to, to be focused on where we're going and how we will stand and be judged before God. If you do all of this, he says, you pray to the Father and understand that He judges equally, that God is a God of equal opportunity, Peter commands then, conduct yourselves in fear during your time, your stay on earth. If you are here this morning and you don't believe in God, then you're not expected to understand all of this stuff. But that doesn't mean that you won't be judged. If you're listening this morning live and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter, you're still going to be judged with a different judgment than those that have trusted I hope that by the time we finish, you'll understand that there's none righteous, no, not one. And that we all need a Savior. We all need that Christ who came onto the scene and delivered us. You see, to have fear of God is important. 
And we should all fear God. Oh, Stuart, God is a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of mercy, and a God of grace, and a God of peace. We, we shouldn't fear God. And that's what our culture says. And, and there is truth in that, right? I mean, God is a loving God, a compassionate God, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of provision. He is all of those above. But we can't miss and lose sight of, though all of that is true, that God is God. And He is to be feared because He is the creator of life. He's given us breath and He demands us to be holy because He is holy. And he sent his son into the world to give us life, but not as a waste, but to be like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, which he indwells us as as believers. We are to fear God. One, because of his nature. Revelation 15, 4 says, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation 14, 7 says, He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the spring of water. We fear Him because of His nature. Not only do we fear Him because of the nature, we fear Him because of His words. Deuteronomy 6.24 says, So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. Isaiah 8, 7, It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy, and He shall be your fear, and He shall be your dread. Proverbs 23, 17, Do not let your hearts envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. 1 Peter 2, 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We fear him because of his word. It commands us to fear. That's just a, a, just a little bit of scripture. It is full of scripture. We see time and time again those that fear the Lord, those that are encouraged to live righteous lives because those that fear the Lord obey the Lord. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm not going to go stick my finger in a light socket. Why? Because I fear the light socket? No, I fear the electricity that's in the light socket. The fear of the electricity keeps me from poking my finger or things into a light socket. A child, I remember mine, he'll get something and stick it in there. Pooh! It turns black. He has no fear of the electricity because he doesn't know that the electricity has power. We understand that God has great power, great ability, and therefore we can have a healthy fear of God. God, it says in Psalm 34, 11, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. God will restore that fear to us if we will pray to him we will serve him teach others to fear him 
He says in Malachi 4.2. He says he will reward them in Revelation 11.8. He says he will sustain them in Psalm 34.9 and 111.5. There is no doubt that the Bible teaches us this morning that you and I must have a healthy fear of God. And so I ask today, have you feared the Lord? Do you have a developed, healthy fear of God, a reverential awe, a respect for God? The one to whom you pray, because the one to whom we pray is the one whom we'll judge. Now, while we must consider the position so that we can have a healthy biblical fear of the Lord, that we can be faithfully fearful, Not only we must consider the position, secondly, we must consider the price. Living holy and following the commands of God is vital in our walk with God. We looked at that last week in depth. And while we struggle with fearing God sometimes, it will really help us if you recall the price that was paid. He says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. Knowing brings out a great point here. It is assumed that they knew what had redeemed them. I assume that you as believers and followers of Christ know what has redeemed you. If you've placed your faith in Christ alone, not in an altar call, not in some prayer, but in Christ alone for salvation alone, which is given by grace alone through faith alone. I believe that if we trusted in Jesus Christ alone, then we know already. We know already. And it assumes they knew already. That you know how you're saved. It's a great reminder for us, and that's what Peter's doing here. He's simply reminding these people how they were redeemed. First off, what in the world does it mean to have redemption? I mean... You know, we live in a culture where we don't use biblical words, and when we go out the door, we can't go, have you been redeemed? They don't get it. They don't understand the word redemption and redeemed. Those are biblical terms. Don't use those terms when we evangelize, right? That's what they they teach us, not to use biblical terms because it confuses people. But let's define, what does it mean to be redeemed? Let's make it as simple as possible because I don't want to confuse anyone when it comes to redemption. After Adam and Eve came into the garden, God placed them there, they sinned. That's pretty simple. They ate of the fruit that they were commanded not to. And because they sinned, we inherited that sin. That was affecting you and me. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Welcome to Christianity. We admit we're all sinners and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat there, just like we're all going to be judged by the same God. By all of the actions in which we do, we're all sinners fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, you and I are infected with the sin virus. And because we're sinners, we are in the bondage of sin and Satan. And we need someone to come in and to pay a ransom, to pay a debt that you and I are not able to pay because the wages of sin is death. 
And so the question is, is how can we have the sin removed from our, our, our beings? How can we be released from the bondage of sin and captivity? Peter's making it clear that no, no material matter will do it. No material, gold, silver, platinum, whatever metal, precious metal you want to place in there, no, none of that will set us free. Material things are great, but they are not of enough value. They are not valuable enough to pay your ransom. Look, we know that we are children of God and that the world is under the control of the evil one, the devil, the, the Satan, the tempter. And Peter understands and he, he feels that he must remind these believers that they were not bought with earthly valuables, but something special, something of great, the greatest value of all times. And Peter is about to let everybody know that redemption only comes through the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary. Look, we're all captives when we come to this world. And at some point in our lives, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, no matter what you're going through, this precious blood can set you free. You can be paid for in full. Redemption is the release from bondage, which is usually by means of a price paid. It's that simple. That's what redemption is. Though you may be a slave to sin right now, the evil one, before you leave today, you can, rather than being a slave to Satan, you can become a slave to Christ by putting your faith in Him. And you can be brought back into a right relationship with God and you can be reconciled back to God and have the Lord Jesus Christ as your father and friend. You're separated and you need your place to be taken by Christ, the one that came and made it possible on, on behalf of his blood. And so it is possible for you to be set free. It wasn't gold, it wasn't silver, but rather 19 says, it was with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He's pointing us back to the Old Testament. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Back then, they sacrificed animals. And the greatest of animals was this precious, spotless lamb. Lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb to pay for sin after sin after sin after sin. But the greatest, Christ, the precious lamb, once for all he died, he paid. Every drop on that cross, every drop of blood paid for everybody whose name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Not one drop of blood was wasted. And you too can receive that grace. You too can receive that ransom that was paid by trusting in that cross, in that Jesus Christ who died on that cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It was Jesus that satisfied the wrath of God that we might become righteousness in Him, that we might live holy lives acceptable. And so when we talk about having a biblically 
balance, fear of God, a healthy balance of fear, it's a great reminder to know that we were bought with a price. The blood of his son. God the Father sent God the Son into the world to give his life as a ransom for you and for me, to pay the debt. Listen, we can walk around claiming Father in heaven without walking around holy in Christ. We can claim Christianity, but that doesn't make us Christians. How do we know that we know that we know in the deepest part of our soul that we are truly born again believers, followers of Jesus Christ? How can we know? James says, test your faith. It was the blood of the perfect Son of God that died for you and for me that paid for that debt. And there's nothing you can do but simply trust in Him who is able. Maybe you've been dealt an empty life as a child. Maybe your mom and dad, they were... They weren't very good parents. Maybe you're living your life without a purpose. No direction, no guidance. Without fruit, without meaning. I'm here to tell you, you were bought with a price. And you are valuable. It doesn't matter how bad your childhood is. No matter what situation you're in. The father sent his son into the world that you might have life. And not just life, but life abundantly. You don't have to be bound to that lifestyle any longer. Because you've been bought with a price. Your debt has been paid. And Christ can become your redeemer. And you can stop living outside the will of God and start living for Christ. Stop doing unholy things and start living holy things. Stop trying to complete the task of perfection and trust Him who has been our perfection. And place your trust only in the one that has paid your price, and that's Jesus. We have to stop playing Christianity in our day and begin to faithfully fear the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, our love. We must consider the position, who God is, the all of God. We must consider the price that Jesus Christ paid on Calvary's hill. And thirdly, we must consider the purpose. We saw the idea of redemption in verses 18 and 19 and how the price was paid. But here in the next few verses, we're going to see the purpose for redemption. He says in verse 24, he, For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in, the last, in these last times for the sake of you, whom through him are believers in God. Notice that. Through him are believers in God. Not through us, but through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. As we recall back to verse 2, we were reminded of the doctrine of election based upon the foreknowledge of God. And here we see that Christ, before the foundations of the world existed, this uh, is a great insight into the deity of Christ. He's always existed. This redemption was a part of God's eternal plan uh, from before the foundations of the world, which included Christ Christ. 
even before Genesis 1. In verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 7, we recall Peter speaking of the revelation of Christ to come. And if we look forward, we'll see Peter speaking in chapter 4, verse 7, about the fact that the end is near. It, it seems to be the heart cry of Peter, and he seems to push the idea through, the, through this entire book. And Jesus here, we're told, appeared in the last time, and I believe it's speaking of his coming to earth. Because Jesus came in the fullness of time, which was the perfect time to save those that would believe on his name. It was his purpose. Don't miss that times is in the plural, and therefore I think of it speaking of, of all times from his birth onward. All this was done for us, that we might have life through his son Jesus Christ. And in verse 21 we see his resurrection that we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks. You see, God raised Christ from the dead. That's a major part of our doctrine into the Christian faith. Though God raised him from the dead, he glorified him and gave him a name that is above every name. And at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the question that we have to come to grips with is what will we do with Jesus? Will we respect Him? Will we honor Him? Will we live in fear of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? What will you do with the Jesus that died for you? It made it possible for you to live free in Him. You know, I can look across here and I know most of you are followers of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God. Praise God. But with that comes great responsibility. And we need each other, right, to encourage each other to, to live that out. I can stand up here and it's easy to preach this. It's another thing to live it out, right? And so I need your encouragement. You need my encouragement. We need one another's encouragement. To live as God has called us to live. Because really, it's difficult. Do we fear God as He calls us to? What will you do with a Jesus that died for you? Will we honor the Father? Will we honor the Son through our lives that we live? Will you begin to live like God called you to live? When we look at what Peter is saying here, he's saying, fear the Lord, and if you claim to know the Father, think about the price. That was paid for you. And why he appeared to you. It was for you. That you might be holy. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And so we're called to submit to the king. And to begin to live our lives with a healthy fear of God. Not treating God as our homeboy. But rather our king. Our master. Will you this morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, commit your life to Christ, trust in Him 100% for your salvation? It doesn't matter if mom and dad or grandpa, grandma, they're all believers and they've trusted in Jesus Christ. Remember, God is not a God of partiality. You will give an account. You 
will stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you will give an account for the life you've lived. Would you trust in him today? I wonder sometimes if we just live life without direction and hope because we truly don't fear God. What is it that will make you desire to serve the Lord and expect God to do great things in you and through you for the kingdom, for his glory? Let us ask God to show us how to have a healthy fear of God. For those that are in Christ, continue to be faithful. So I look across here, we're, 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 I am so blessed to, to be a pastor of a church with so many godly people. Such great examples. And I know sometimes when I preach, it may seem like, uh, boy, you know, he's really tough on us. I'm trying to just teach the text. I'm not your judge. God's your judge, and he'll judge you. My encouragement is that we need each other to make sure that when we stand before Christ, that we can encourage each other to live a life here in fear of him who is able and be faithful to what God has called us to, to keep us on track, right? Because it's easy to get derailed, to get caught up in the world and forget about the eternity in which we'll live forever and get focused on this little sliver of time. Are we living our lives? Are we doing what we do with a healthy fear of God? For those that are not in Christ, you can know Him today. And if you feel that you have never trusted in Him alone for your salvation and you feel the Spirit of God tugging on you today, don't delay for the Bible says today is the day of salvation you're guaranteed breath right now because you have it there's no guarantee you'll have it tomorrow trust in Christ today the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and let us as Christians live with a a faithfully fearful life with the Lord Jesus Christ let's pray